Constructed Criticism is sponsored by Oasis Games. MTGOasis.com is the place to get cards for your next Magic event. Try them out with code CCMTG for 15% off of your first order, and use the code Would That Be Good for 4% off of every order. Want to support the show directly? Head on over to patreon.com slash ccmtg to check out some awesome benefits and future goals for the show. Thanks for listening, and here's this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at purentgeo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 398th episode of Constructed Chrism. I am your host, Mason, joined by my cowboy co-host, Spencer, and my taxi-driving co-host, Abe. Abe, how you doing? I'm doing great. Love taxis. I love that. Spencer, yeehaw. How you doing, buddy? Dude, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. I've played a lot of Magic since this set came out. Magic is in a good place, and I'm in a good place, and that's just a good place to be. It's a three-for-one. A little ancestral for you. Today, we're going to be talking about Neon Dynasty's immediate impacts on Magic, and that's going to be across lots of forms. We're going to talk about standard, popper, modern, historic. We've got it all today. But first, we do need to do always improving. And it looks like I'm up first on the docket today for this week in always improving. My always improving moment comes from working on Amulet Titan for this past weekend's NRG, which I went out to old Milwaukee to uh, play and got, you know, some cheese. It was a great time. Amulet Titan is a deck that I've played a lot, I really liked, and you got some pretty big upgrade this uh, last set with Beseju, the tree. But the problem with Amulet Titan has always kind of been, okay, but you can't really beat Death Shadow. And Death Shadow is like one of the best decks in modern right now, and my assessment is one of the most popular decks, like it and Murktide are decks that people really like to play, and people are going to play the variant of that which they think is best a lot of the time. Those sort of game plans were popular before they were good in Modern, and now that they are good thanks to Ragavan and friends, they get played a lot. So it's like, okay, how do we overcome this problem? And it kind of came from, okay, well, what is the problem with the matchup? And it's like, well, I'm a combo deck that needs to like assemble these pieces so I can get this Titan into play so I can kill them but they're really good at disrupting my combo and picking apart the individual pieces. So how do we fix that? Well, the solution that kind of came to and worked on and has played out really well since then is just cutting all the amulets from my deck and cutting a bunch of the other big spells from my deck and just turning into this weird ramp control deck, Spencer, which I'm sure you're all about, where I have three EEs, four endurances, and a colony garden. And I just play the worst ramp deck you've ever seen. And I've easily beaten all my shadow opponents and starting to do that. And the always spring moment comes from no sacred cows, baby. Got to sacrifice those amulets. It was the problem with the matchup was I was leaning too much on that sort of thing. Along with Urza Saga, I even experimented with cutting Urza Saga from my deck uh, during sideboarding. And ultimately I didn't go that way, but was willing to make big sacrifices and do things that look and sound wild. I got a lot of bulging eyeballs when I was telling people about the plan this weekend. So You know, you and I have, have both played a fair bit of Amulet, and I think I think when I first was playing the deck, uh, the very first event ever, uh, the only decks that I lost to were uh, Grixis, Death Shadow, and Mill. And you were like, 
yeah, you're not going to win either of those. And I was like, yeah, the mill one felt really bad. I wonder about this one. But I think at the time they were still playing like um, Team or Battle Rage. It's really interesting to hear you. It goes back to our episode a couple weeks ago, right? Like this matchup was tough, but Mesa had an idea that is a little unconventional and it works. And it makes me want to spend some of my empty geo bucks on some, some Amulet Titan. Amatine's a blast. You should definitely do it. Abe, what about your always improving moment? My always improving moment is almost tied to like a lot of what I think we'll end up talking about this episode. I've learned so much like how I want to construct my decks while thinking about specifically the card Experimental Synthesizer. Since the set has been previewed, I've been playing Drafts on Arena, playing a bunch of Pioneer and Pauper on Magic Online, and a decent bit of Standard too. Like this card has presented so many questions to me of like how do I make it as good as I want it to be, and how do I maximize it in the way that my deck is constructed? Like, can I fit it into Affinity? Do I have to play Frogmite with it so I have enough spells to hit off of it? When do I cast it? Like, it feels like such a skill-testing card to be playing with, and, like, it presents a lot of... You just gotta draw the card and play it immediately, but that kind of question and answering that has really kind of, like, pushed me forward in the way that I'm looking at the cards I'm putting in my deck and the way I'm making those decisions, as opposed to, like, oh, you know, like, it's just a draw to or whatever, and I'll just put it in my deck, these other things. Specifically playing it in Pioneer in some of the Rakdos synthesizer decks that Mason had linked in uh, in the Patreon Discord. At first I thought I knew how this would work, but it's actually playing out differently, and then using that to update everything else in how I was thinking about how to play the card has really been uh, like an eye-opening. Can you talk about that a little bit for me? This is a deck that I want to pick up. I'd, be, I'd love to learn like what was different than you expected. In talking about building it, Mason and I had talked about how, like, you know, which of the one-drops do you really lose to gain Synthesizer? What is it you're trying to enable or give up? And what I noticed over my leagues playing with the deck that we had come up with was that uh, you actually started to need a lot more red sources. Not having black leaf cliffs was really rough because a lot of your best patterns for playing the card are like, oh, I'll play it and then I can play my land or my one or two drop on like turn three. But having to have double red that early in the game is really rough because a lot of your spells are black and also making sure that all of your spells in your deck are ones that you actually want to cast proactively is pretty tough too. I don't want to get out of myself too much because I will talk about this in our main topic, but like the way that other people kind of saw this potential and the way they worked out, I think is really, really smart. They saw the puzzle better than I did. You know, the timing on the spell, something that looks kind of like, oh, I'm going to enable this kind of Luris bauble scenario actually turns into something where because it has a single red man in its cost and also the timing on which you receive the card blows the door wide open on, on how different it is. It's hard to say like how much different it is than I thought it was because it's just hard to put into words how different it is to draw a card right now for only this turn and, and drawing a card like you normally would with a Wellspring kind of card. It's very hearthstone yeah. If that's yeah. true. And it also is, um, it kind of reminds me, the way you were talking about it reminded me of Expressive Iteration and how the play patterns were really different than I thought that they would be. The cards was really good, but playing with the backside and how good like a 2-2 is and working that in your game plan too, there's just like so much going on in that card. And it has, it has really pushed me a lot to think about the way that I'm playing my games and then thinking about what that actually means for the way my deck is functioning. And that has been really, really cool. I... Uh, had to skip my local 1k I would typically be playing in. It was uh, sealed. So I like had done a bunch of prep for sealed, doing like a bunch of drafts and stuff, as well as stuff for Mythic Cast going into the weekend. Uh, had to skip it, ended up doing some other stuff, and then also couldn't play the Popper Challenge that I was going to play. But I kind of took an opportunity of like 
I don't know, being a little under the weather and not wanting to commit as much to trying different things. I had a ton of gold lying around on Arena, so I just played a bunch of the uh, standard metagame challenge with different decks, you know. Started off with playing Dragons, tried some, some Mono Red. I think this is the first one in a while that I didn't get the seven wins at. Uh, but I got a lot of really good results, and like my win percentage stayed pretty high throughout the whole thing. And one of the really cool things that I noticed during the metagame challenges are used to like ladder play in like the platinum to mythic range. You are probably not seeing a lot of aggressive decks right now, and that was not true on the challenge because you get rewarded for you know, completing your matches quickly in a lot of ways if, if you have a lot of gold to burn and stuff. But also, like, people were just bringing nothing but, like, good, lean stuff, which I really liked. I mean, there were a couple games, just like you got on ladder, where, like, you're like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. But for the most part, I think that you got people's best, which I really enjoyed. And in doing that, I got to play Zan's deck. I got to play updated different blue-red decks. And I got to play against a lot of really cool stuff. I think one of the things that was always improving for me is like taking some of that stuff and applying it to my own brew. Uh, if you have been following me on whether it's Twitter or in the Discord, I have been working on this Jun Snowstorm deck, I call it, which is, and honestly, like one of the biggest gets for me from this weekend was actually um, Tainted Adversary, replacing a lot of the stuff that I was doing. Um, I played against another Tainted Adversary deck and was like, I don't know why I didn't think of this card. But the way that my deck works, like, you put a lot of creatures into play, whether it's with, between Inscription of Ruin and Blood in the Snow, you can actually put two drops into play, like, super easy with this deck, between main deck and sideboard, depending on how you build it. You also just get tons and tons of mana in your like ramp deck that also happens to be a storm the festival deck when i played against this other deck that was playing tainted adversary it like really changed the way i could build my deck and also my deck ought to adjust to the fact that like people are playing more aggressive decks which means that i can play main deck blood chief's thirst to also hit things like dragon egg and like it was huge gains. I played a lot of Zan's deck. I think I played three different things. And I think I got five wins twice. And then got mana screwed one of them. But like there was so much standard to be played. And a lot of learnings for both what people are doing. And some of the innovations that I was seeing. Even in the decks from week one standard that we saw from MTGO. You know it's really funny that you bring up the kind of difference between the standard metagame challenge and the high ladder. No, personally, I played a good amount of Zan's deck, two in the metagame challenges. I think I fired two bolts with it, and I got like a seven and a six. After every match, I was like, I wish this deck had like an infernal grasp. Just like one more instant speed removal spell that could just kill anything would go so far. And I think like that kind of speaks to, I know Zan's process as he streams is like to, like, only in High Mythic, is to just keep on trying to beat the things that he's seeing in High Mythic. And playing in a broader metagame, that opens him up a lot to to maybe not uh, accounting for the the aggressive decks as much because they're not as apparent in, in that segment of the ladder. Whereas his deck was like really an arms race deck about accruing the most resources. I agree with everything you just said, and we'll probably get into his deck later. But one of the things that like I played against Mono Red the very first time I queued with Zan's deck, and I, it was a real like mental gymnastics to like. How am I supposed to sequence this? How am, Zan's a good magic player, and I, I think I'm pretty okay at the game. And so, like, I think that we're able to 
put ourselves in a position to win those type of games. But I agree with you that like there's a lot going on in the standard format, and kind of learning that helps you prepare for any given ladder run, event, whatever you're doing. And we're going to get into more of that standard stuff here in a second. But first, we do need to give a shout-out to our new patrons, Mikey, Jonathan, Ben. Thank you so much for becoming patrons of the show. It means a lot. The show will always be free. But if you want to support it, you go to patreon.com slash ccmtg. Don't worry. I'll promote that to you again later in the show during the Patreon questions. But first, we've got to do a little housekeeping before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode. Spencer, what's our housekeeping? I think that part of the always improving process also applies to us, the show, the things that we do, right? I got feedback initially when we set our tournament date that uh, the people were not as interested because it's like a couple weeks before cards change in Alchemy. It's also right after a set comes out. Can we do standard instead? And like we kind of just kept going with the Alchemy thing and we didn't get signups. And so I think I could have specifically listened to that feedback really and, and pushed back against like doing Alchemy. But the good news is because we're going to move the prizes from this event, not hold it, and put them into the next event, making our next event a 1K at the bare minimum of Oasis Store credit. As we took a vote, Abe, and uh, the opposition didn't show up, as you said. 3-0, we just want to give you guys the prizes. So we'll schedule a new one. We didn't, we're not holding the event this week. I love giving away $1,000. That's just like a cool thing to do. Yeah, we also got a bunch of new patrons, so like we're gonna be you'll still get in there for free at that ten dollar entry point, things like that. That's gonna be a super great event. I love a good one K. I hope that, you know, as much as we would have loved to give you the Alchemy event, it the timing was really weird. Alchemy's still really new. It was also the only weekend that worked for like us to do an event, so it was kind of awkward in that sense. It also wasn't clear to us when we made it that the alchemy cards wouldn't come out with the main set. Yeah. That so that's kind of what they said. When we, yeah, when we <laughs> picked the date, we thought that alchemy cards would be released at the same time as the set. Maybe the people who were at the website and everyone playing the Pro Tour playing alchemy all thought this. So I don't feel too bad about missing it, TBH. I do feel bad about the set review. That's all me, Kings. But uh, <laughs> this one I don't feel bad about at all. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I know that I, I speak for all of us when we say we're just really excited to be bringing you a great event the next time. The prize will still be there. It'll all be good. It'll be an even bigger shebang. It'll be awesome. I actually am working on getting some people for coverage. So what you're telling me is I get to compete. No, you still can't play uh, Mason. <laughs> why can't I compete? Okay, Mason, we just need to make a burner account, you and me. Get a good amount of red deck at the format, I might sneak in, you know, drop a 50, 50 bucks. I've, I've fought worse video games before. See what happens. That Clark Nason guy just went the distance. You know, the only thing that's really lost is the, the Q1 trophy, but Q2 is going to be uh, gonna be pretty sweet. Q1 is Q2. You want to give a trophy to two people in Q2? Q2 is Q1. You, just Dude, you know back. what we could do? But, like, we could do a loser's tournament the same day. It's free entry, and I'll get Oasis to sponsor that one. This is, like, a thing in Smash Bros. We could do something. Yeah, it just starts, like, three hours later. Yeah, I've been to a 1K before. They're in those winner boxes. Your friends are well in the car in the 4-0. You're like, yeah, I got to go play this box. I'll talk to, I'll talk to Oasis. Nothing official, but that, that sounds fun. Let's talk about this new set, though. Yeah, Abe, kick us off here. We kind of have 10 facts. We each kind of pick three things we want to talk about. And we're going to kind of plow through those. And, uh, you know, everyone's open to discussion, but we all kind of brought something to say. The thing that I noticed most, especially as I was looking over um, the Magic Online standard data, th there were some events over the weekend. I think there was like uh, the Crokies event. 
I think there was something else that was an arena event that happened over the weekend for Standard. But I was looking at the Magic Online results for the Standard events, and just looking from week one of Kamigawa release to now the second weekend of the cards being out, so much has changed in such little time. And I think that like a lot of that has to do with the new space in the format that was opened up by the bannings that happened right before uh, the set release. But also just like so many new cards, the set and the archetype the set enables have been really good. But the format's moving really, really quickly. Like on the weekend, like eight copies of Visit Dragons or like Jeskai um, Magma Opus were in top eight of the challenges. And then this weekend that number like halved, I think it was only like a handful of players did well with dragons. And like there was instead this... Um, like Selesny enchantment deck that turned into this Naya runes deck overnight. The the young blood shouts to uh, shadows two thousand five. I saw in the top eight of the challenge with that little zoomer action. Just like so many new things are coming out every event I'm looking at, and things are just moving really quickly. But a lot of the good things are still competing. But it's kind of like just really cool to see how much the format is still evolving. And as the rules have changed, Spencer and I talked about how, uh, like we played that Esper deck that Zan was playing and it was like really good at accruing all these resources and stuff, but like competing with that new axis of, of being the biggest mid-range deck has really changed. I don't know how you guys feel about that. We could probably popcorn around our points really quick because I'll just go into my standard point. I think standard is super grindy, as you just said. We obviously saw aggressive decks, but to your point, Abe, like, you know, Zan won the Crokey's Challenge, Dragons won another challenge, and then maybe the most popular deck since the last time that this deck existed in Standard, in early formats, also won an event, which is the Orzov midrange slash control deck. The biggest thing that is making Standard grindy for what it's worth, Wedding Announcement, is like... Yes. Holy crap. That card is so messed up. It's like Lingering Souls. It is kind of like Lingering Souls, but different. That's an interesting comparison for what it's worth. But I think that the whole format is now sh completely changed. Even in Zan's deck, like, I don't know, there was a lot of things to adapt to. But I'll just stick with that. There's grindy decks, right? The Orzov deck, you've got these other mid-range decks with uh, Zan's deck. I mean, Bono Green was filling this role in a lot of ways while being aggressive before. But I don't know that, like, Mono Green got less grindy. Like, it still can grind you out. Aggressive decks also changed, right? We have Mono Red taking the top eight of the first week, and then the other decks are adjusting to that. It is so many different things, but I think that most of it kind of revolves around this Orzob midrange deck doing so well over the last two weeks. And it has changed kind of, like how people are approaching things and even things like this uh this dragons deck that won i'm pretty sure that they even had they it's not the same 75 that won the week before that won both the week before yeah that's true i mean this one has, yeah <laughs> this one has three sweepers in it that's less than the other one yeah the other one had five did it yeah week one had five sweepers in it we've entered this world of very different standard and I think that, Abe, you said it really well. These iTwitch, like, kind of black mid-range-based decks with, like, Deadly Disputes or the Orzov deck with Wedding Announcement, that really takes its time in setting up a board position and in developing a board and slowly overwhelming you with resources gets to exist now because of the bans and because of some of the new cards that were printed. Uh, like, I don't know, I, I couldn't imagine a standard format where Spirited Companion was a card I was registering for of. 
until they, they change the way things were. Like, the, the end games, the format are so different now. You can win a game through accruing just more stuff than your opponent, and that has led to a lot of new stuff happening. And a lot of the other decks, I think, are changing around that to kind of find new ways through it, right? Instead of trying to just close the game as fast as they can before, which is kind of like how Mono White was built, uh, or like Mono Green was trying to attack things with uh, with like Blue Red Epiphany. Now you're we're seeing a lot more decks that are trying to like win the slog, you know? Like, like they're still decks trying to close the game quickly, but they need to be much more resilient to things happening on the other side of the table, which is really good, I think. To your point about uh, an unnamed podcast definitely was poo-pooing all over the idea of registering Elvish Visionary. And, you know, basically that Magic had completely moved past it. But there are a lot of Elvish Visionary in the results this week. I think we kind of agree but disagree in a lot of ways. I think some of it comes from the frame in which we look at it. So I don't see the black-white deck as a new deck. That was kind of the deck that I thought was, well, from looking at results and stuff, was the best deck after the bands going into Kamigawa, which was a short period of time. So the note that I had put was standards more of the same in, when it comes to the winning decks. Like, while Zan did have the uh, Esper deck and we saw some other things pop up, uh, we kind of need to see more things get explored, more things uh, kind of adapt what's going on. Because a, a bulk of the decks that have actually won, and obviously winning isn't everything, but when players look at stuff they, in like in the perception of things, they look at winning a lot. And Blue Reds won like three of the four challengers and Black White won one. And that is, you know, the two of the best decks from before. There are a lot of really good decks. I'm not saying they're not. Like, I think the Spirited Companion, because we were just talking about the Elvis Visionary, the Enchantment deck I think is really good. I think there's a lot of really good stuff happening. There's a lot of, like, wild things. Like, the idea of a Gruul midrange deck is something that was, like, brand new, not really thought of before. Just Guy Control is kind of along those lines, like a new deck. If, for example, Yeoman in 15th place playing Blue-Red Vehicle Aggro. Like, there's there are a lot of cool things happening and adapting, but it feels like we're still kind of getting our bearings with these cards. And that's the thing that's happening with me is I feel like we're still kind of I, I played against a pretty insane blue-black Tezzeret deck as well. I don't know where the list came from, but it was like easily the best deck that I played against this weekend that was extremely grindy as well. I think that probably like three or four weeks from now, people who are doing new things like have more time to trial and error their way through. There's a huge advantage that Izzet Dragons and Orza Midrange have by starting out being the best decks coming in, right? Like, they already have all this work done to them. They already have all these numbers figured out. Their deck already works efficiently. They've already seen kinds of problems with the format and know how to adjust their deck building accordingly. All the things trying to combat that, they're coming at it with a new problem. So I think the fact that, you know, we see decks like this Runes deck looks really, really strong and uh, and promising and very new, I think that's like that's a huge place where there could be a, be a big game. A lot of these new strategies that involve new cards primarily, like maybe this vehicles deck, they still have to work out, they still have to like iron out the kinks, you know? I think the fact that they are competing and we're seeing the metagame shares kind of dwindle a bit for the traditional decks and even the traditional decks are starting to adapt. The Asper midrange deck I played was really a derivative of the black-white midrange deck that was tuned towards having more ways to like generate card advantage or break the control matchups. We're seeing the same thing, but differently. I see a lot of change moving in that direction. I think what you're calling out is, like, seems like right now, uh, yeah, you know, that the change hasn't more. been enough. Yeah, exactly. I'm not. I'm not saying there isn't change. There obviously is. I'm saying it, it needs to happen more. And I think there's some of the stuff is like players not willing to risk things and not fully delving into things. Like Tezzeret Betrayer Flush, I think is like really strong. 
and we see it kind of popping up in various places and doing pretty well. Noah's spending time to like try and maximize that sort of stuff as much. And so I, I feel like there's that with a bunch of cards and a bunch of things, a bunch of different ways to also play the decks. Like Smoldering Egg was really good with Alarant's Epiphany, obviously baked in, right? But now like no one's trying to play like a Smoldering Egg type deck anyways. And like that's a way to like kind of get some gaming and some of this other stuff, right? And so I, I just think that there needs to be more adaptation to the Black, White, and the Blue Red deck because we know what their strengths and weaknesses are traditionally and you can kind of attack those things. And it feels like a lot of people are building their decks with blinders on at certain points. And we're kind of hitting week two now where they're starting to be like, oh yeah, I got to adapt for these things. And we saw a, a big jump forward in one week of technology once people were like, oh yeah, that's right. I have to be Black, White, I have to be Blue, Red. And I got to I gotta challenge you guys on this because like, I had not seen this version of Black White basically at all. These old lists from after the ban are like 15, 20 cards different. I think this deck has innovated a ton. So like the one that won by Sapio, I'm going to try and say their name correctly here, is a, a bit different. It's more of like an aggressively leaning uh, Black White deck. There's two versions. There's like a Luminarch Aspirant version. And there's like Orzhov Control. Yeah, and then there's like the one that's basically just the planeswalkers the edgars that is the one that was doing i think pretty well before kamigawa came out uh but i had seen versions like this floating around in places and maybe that's like some amount of conflation in my head and i'm like mixing the data on the two you know what i mean like i'm remembering it but I, I have seen stuff similar to like an aggressively slanted black white deck that had like uh white black second thing exile thing and flashback um, but they've gotten some new cards like Bankbuster that's maybe have taken the place of that, so it's a little different. No, I will say th this deck, I suppose, is definitely much more aggressively slanted than most of the uh, the traditional ones. Most the, of the, the previous ones. ones. It's only yeah. playing Lolf, like Vanishing Verse, as its removal. It doesn't play any right. Oh, it does main deck its wedding announcements. And it only plays like two Meat Hook Massacre, but also it's like Paladin Class. This build is trying to snowball its board advantage rather than play a game of indefinite amounts of accruing it. Like, I played against both versions a ton. I think that. This is literally the most popular deck in Magic right now. It plays the black-white game, you know, everyone's least favorite type of Magic. Anyway, on to a format that I am liking more than standard nowadays. The Pioneer Showcase Challenge was over the weekend, and Oni Cult Anvil and Synthesizer builds of Rakdos midrange absolutely dominated over the weekend. Goldfish says he won the standard challenge. I don't know if that's correct. Or the, the Pioneer Challenge. He won the the challenge in 5-3, the other thing, the showcase or whatever. He won the challenge with uh, this Anvil plus Synthesizer build of Black Red that kind of gives you cheaper ways to pop the Synthesizers and generate traction and kind of bleed the game out as you're as you're holding on to it. Um, I know that Sam Pardee lost the finals of the show of the Pioneer Showcase with um, Rakdos Sacrifice with Oni Cut Anvil and Karn. This build of Rakdos was all over the top 32 of the challenge and uh both of those cards making a huge splash kind of changing the positioning of that rakdos deck i think a good bit by making it much more resilient to graveyard hate uh both through the way that it generates card advantage where they've stopped playing stitcher supplier and being so reliant on that and croxa to be their end game uh, and also just giving them a way to grind not only put pressure on the opponent's life total but also be playing to the board at the same time through anvil like they're playing like for Terrarian, they're playing Blood Epicure. They have tons of ways to generate these incidental artifacts that will make uh, make them one ones, while also being able to use uh, the Anvil to like drain out or as a sacrifice outlet for when they need to use more of their mana in a turn, and also have access to cards with Synthesizer. Really, really cool solution. 
So the problem I was having with getting my synthesizers looping, which is how man intensive it was, one of the top two best decks in Pioneer right now is, is definitely the best mid-range deck. I'll add my point to you before we get into it, because this is when I wrote down, is that Pioneer has really leaned down as a format since the release of Kamigawa. Clunkiness in the, the mana curves and everything like that. Uh, and I, I put in parentheses, maybe it's because people are, are focusing on the format. It's, it's unclear to me, but I do know that Kamigawa adds a lot of really cheap cards that are really good. The Anvil deck, I think, is quite good and is probably, in my opinion, like the second best deck in Pioneer. I think the Lightpaw deck is the best deck by like a lot in Pioneer. And it's interesting, if you look at the first challenge, the one that Polyam won with Blackbird we were just talked about was on Saturday. Orzov's four of the top 16. Uh, it lost all of its win and ends or whatever very easily because you know, have one or two in the top eight. The matches go slightly differently. Uh, and then there's like none of it uh, in the top 16 of the next day. There are a couple in the top 32. Uh, but it's funny, because I think the problem is the deck actually the way it's built with all the Orzov being purely Orzov actually makes it really hard to beat the black red deck. But I think by adding just literally a messenger speed to your deck, you're actually able to bust through these sort of decks. And people just haven't adapted to like light polish you to or anything. You can do these sort of things and people are just not, you know, believers in it yet. So no one's done like super well with it. But yeah, I think the, the Anvil decks and the Synthesized decks have really are dominating Pioneer. It plus Lightpaw puts a lot of new pressure on the format. And in some ways, Greasefang also. Um, I think that adds like this whole other combo element. And it's really like condensing what you're able to do in Pioneer realistically. And really giving it a new shape that I don't think is better or worse. But I, I find personally more interesting than the previous Pioneer. I agree it's kind of hard to tell if it's an injection of all of these new cards. Or the fact that there was a Pioneer showcase over the weekend. At least personally, I think it's probably the injection in this case. All of the decks are playing new cards. Even the decks you're talking, like, Rakdos Midrange, not anything groundbreaking. The way they're building it involves, you know, seven copies of new cards or whatever. Three Anvil plus the Synthesizers. Or, you know, Sacrifice. They're playing Karn to be able to go get Anvil, and they're playing Anvil in the main deck. I think Party even said on Twitter, like, I wish I just had played, instead of these Prosperous Keepers, one more Anvil, one more Meat Hook Massacre just to draw it. It was so much better than this kind of Grease the Wheels card to have my payoffs. I think that a lot of leaning down is going up in Pioneer because there's so many good options, as you said, being introduced. There's just so many sick commons and uncommons that are... I, I do think it's like really good for the format, though. It's kind of like... It's giving it a lot of the, the stuff that maybe Standard doesn't. The big card pool really matters. No Parkelians in Standard. Grease fingers rise up. Which kind of brings me into my last point that I'm bringing to the table about, about Comrade's Impact, which is that everywhere I'm seeing Kamigawa cards show up, it feels like they're being really impactful. Like I said, like fully changing packages of the way that, you know, popular Tier 1 decks are built. You know, adding third colors to standard, you know, staple tier one decks to play more card advantage options. But everything so far feels like it's doing it in a way that's very adaptable. You know, like people are able to change what they're doing to kind of play to the new rules of the cards. It's not like playing with Bone Crusher Giant for the first time all over again. You know, like it's not some, it's not a rate thing. It's just the fact that these cards do something that is ahead on rate. If you make it all work together in the right way, all the cards are designed to make that happen and still be competitive on the same level with other things i really think it's just magic's in a sweet spot right now for so many constructed formats with how these cards are showing up and there's so much to explore and i think that we're only in like the first phase of that like like i said when we're talking about standard right now dragons and orzov have that big advantage of being the incumbents of the format people revisiting runeforge champion and uh playing with jukai naturalist to play a bunch of free runes and get triggers off of their enchantment cards super duper powerful People doing all these things with the card pool and then finding ways to react to that 
that I think we're only in the first of many stages of. Every format I look at, as I'm looking over a bunch of results today uh, to prepare for the show, there's so much play going on, but it also feels like there's so much room for counterplay, and I absolutely love that. I think that's like probably one of the biggest wins for this set for me is that everywhere it's showing up, it's not in a dominant way. It's in like it's in a, a positive but not like overbearing way, you know. I'll throw this in uh, because I don't think that it'll go into any of our other points. And it kind of leads into my next one. Today I was uh, playing Hammer Time with Quentin and Matt. And one of the decks that we played against was Living End. And what do you think showed up? The Turtle. Maybe we go into Mason's point before we go into my point. But like, I think that there's a lot in this set that goes into a lot of different things. And it's not just the lands. Which is one of my points. Is that like the lands are dope. The blue ones busted. The black ones busted. The green ones but Oh wait, they're all really good. The white one gives you a colorless answer to pro-white stuff. Like, there is a lot going on. Mason, why don't you talk kind of about your point, and then I'll go into my hammer time point. It's going to kind of lead into this. Is I feel like a lot of the Kamigawa stuff, just to go on what Abe said, is a lot of it is greasing the wheels. Like, there are things like Lightpaw and ironically Grease Fang to this analogy that are like... I make an archetype, look at me. But a lot of other things are like Moonsnap prototype, Anvil, uh, Experimental Synthesize here, the the Sky Turtle that we don't know its name of. Like these things are smoothing the wheels of a lot of decks and like, you know, whatever. I actually saw that Sky Turtle in play, by the way, so it's almost top eight of the energy. I think it's just uh, Colossal Sky Turtle. Is that really the same? Yeah. Just Big C? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's Colossal Sky Turtle also. Big C. Uh, anyways, a big, big Dude, season. Is by the way, I'm really glad that card is not a disperse because after seeing it played, it would actually be busted. It is a disperse. It would be, so, it would be, the best it would actually be unreal. Just a dummy thick borrower that's also a regrowth. My, my point is that modern players are not focusing enough on some of their great cards and they're over focused on cards like Baseju or Big Tree, as I call it. Synthesizer at Hardened heart, heart Scales, Big C the Turtle, and uh, Living End. Experimental Synthesize is a really strong card. We spent like the first part of uh, the show talking about how Abe's playing with that deck and changing it. Abe, have you considered how well that card works with Arcbound Ravenger? I have many times. I think we're not in a world where I can put red sources in my affinity decks. Ooh, Zabaz. Me and Zabaz are gonna we're gonna try and do something. We'll see what happens. Right, I might it might not be good enough. There's like a lot of stuff you can do, and there's just been a, an, I think an overemphasis specifically in modern on the tree and leading into the NRG and stuff. People are like, how are you gonna play anything without the tree, or how are you gonna play a deck that's bad against tree? Besage is too good, blah blah blah. And it's like, okay, Besage is really good. It gives these decks a new element, but like there's other things you can be doing. And some of the things you're going to be doing are artifacts over, and it's just because your opponent can besage you, rend you every turn, doesn't mean they can get it. I saw some really cool, like, uh, Disciple of the Vault decks this weekend, and stuff like that, where they're using Oni Cult and uh, Experimental in Modern, and they were, you know, doing pretty well. Yeah, mine also has to do with people maybe over-exploring a little bit, and I'm sure that I'm going to get hate on the Twitterverse for this. Reality Chip, not it in hammer time yes like, <laughs> i've been just waiting for someone to actually tell me this. not it i'm sure that it's good against things like grixith death shadow or whatever we, we played some today of just the list that won the the, the the saturday challenge i am over the moon to hear you say that spencer i haven't talked to spencer about this oh my god but i talked to mason about it. mason was like blue white's the truth blue white's the truth and i'm like this doesn't no. make any sense after, uh, <laughs> after playing some games like everyone in the in the group like myself quentin and matt all agreed that black was probably just better honestly like lion sash though 
that is the truth. That card is a good get for this deck and allows you to play at a very different angle. Gives you a lot of leeway in, in different aspects. I'm a pretty big fan. It is interesting, though. When we did our Patreon-only episode, there was only one blue whitelist in, like, two months that had done well. This weekend, there was only one black-white list, and the rest were blue-white. So it's, like, a pretty big shift. I'm pretty sure the blue-white list is better right now, and the black-white list is probably better in more metagames. That would be my guess. The thing that we were discussing during our games today was actually not the chip. We just all agreed reality chip kind of sucked. It was more that, like, is this metagame one where I want Spell Pierce and uh, Lavinia? I had not seen this actual list yet. I looked in detail. The literal next event, they stopped playing reality chip. Uh, a bunch of people so like it's pretty clear that the reality chip was not the truth even if the blue version is better right now all i was going to say is i think meddling mage is a really good get for this deck for in a lot of matchups and cutting the bunch with lavinia i can see how like on moto money pile over represents itself compared to in paper that being said i played against three money pile players this past weekend it's very funny and lavinia quite good against them along with things like living and etc i personally like metal mage and i think that there are a lot of good reasons to be blue. And I, I personally think that having a reality chip does not ruin things somewhere in the 75 and is pretty good in a couple matchups. We talked about just not caring about the black for cranial plating. Almost in every game, we would have rather had cranial plating than the chip. Yeah, the first place list is not playing Lion Slash in the main. And that was my suggestion for the Switch. I thought a lot about blue and, and meddling mage and all that stuff. And I'm not sure there's a single problem being solved by meddling mid or by the blue cards that isn't solved by putting defense grid in your deck. That's kind of where I've landed on why I think blue is much worse than having other colors. Like, I don't know. I think I think it's possible to go to, like, Stirring's defense grid and get the same upside. I did not expect this point to, like, cause a ruckus. I thought about this a ton in the shower, because I'm still, I've been reeling ever since reality chip was told to me to be the truth. I could not envision very many scenarios where chip was, like the truth have you ever had a stall board state before that's my big pitch on the chip is like if you're down if you're down bad on resources or there are no good attacks the chip uh, gives you a pretty reasonable angle there your hammer you're never down bad you got 2020s you're thick sorry i'm used to playing money pile so all my hammer opponents are just like they got these mim knights and they're like hey, your turn mr mason have, have yeah have so a my good reality chip's doing what i'm paying three mana to get time walks like no you're, i'm you're not, I'm not well, I, don't, I don't know the reality chip you are fixes the enemy that. you are yeah. the enemy of the hammer uh, Let's talk about our bonus one, which is Popper. And already, Synthesizer making the impact. The first place list on was the Storm deck. Then we've got... That one had Synthesizer. Uh, oh, I'm talking about the week before. Oh, okay. Was that card legal the week before? Yes. Exactly. Oh, okay. Abe, Abe out here, you know, blazing trails, Mason. Okay, no, the person who won with Boros Bully also had in their deck, I cannot take credit. But I was among the first. Why do you guys think that this set was a good popper set? Because I have a lot of opinions about this set and popper. I mean, I think the only card that really has mattered to me for it in popper has just been Synthesizer, because you just get another Icar Wellspring that... I don't know. I think I think we're pretty close to, like, to like, like, a, a Tron deck. You think there's good Tron stuff? Yeah, both the Turtles seem really good in Tron to me. One of the things that I haven't liked about Tron recently is the blue version of Tron, for example, it plays like the 5-5 five, five Hexproof or whatever. Maybe it's a 6-6 six, six that you can cycles. Like, these are way better cards for that style of deck. A lot of the room in the metagame for Tron has been kind of eaten up by the Azorius decks because they get to play much better stuff against Affinity. 
while also having the same end game of like ephemerate locking people. I would be interested to see what those Tron decks look like. They might have lost some things that are too important for them to be competitive. Like, even if these gains are good gains, I think they might be in the wrong place for the format right now. I don't know if Mason knows anything or cares much about Popper. I do not know enough to speak intellectually about the Turtles in Tron or much about Popper, but what I do know is that Popper is typically a format about accruing resources and stuff, so seeing things like Experimental Synthesize burst into the scene where like a 2-2 body can be kind of relevant in a couple spots. It's a draw two and artifacts are some of the best, if not the best thing to be doing in Popper is uh, not surprising. I think that's part of why we're seeing it have such a big impact in Popper is because artifacts are like the best thing there. This is an artifact, a good chunk of an artifact set, you know? <laughs> uh, I do think that like Boris Bully getting a ban and then immediately getting Synthesizer was pretty good. The Boris Bully deck looks nice. And so does the Affinity deck. As a set that is the most uh, complex set ever printed word-wise, uh, the fact that it has some of the best commons does not strike me as, uh, as very far-fetched. I'm surprised I haven't seen more of the Ninjutsu 2-1 that's kind of like Ninja the Deep Hours. Like, drawing the first card is pretty great, and usually connecting for a second card is just extremely difficult. But in those, like, blue-red fairies matchups, the card you get for Ninjutsuing back your other creature and the card you're getting for connecting are most of the value you get out of into the deep hours anyway, and the one mana versus two mana is so much in the early to mid game. I think, you know, to wrap up everything here, the thing that really kind of sticks out to me, at least, across all the things we kind of mentioned, is that, like, Kamigawa is this really deep set that adds a lot of complexity in the way in which you're supposed to kind of construct your deck and look at these cards and fit them in. They're not like Eldrin cards in the sense of like they smash into a format, they take over, and these are like the best things to be doing. These things fit into existing decks for the most part, and you kind of have to figure that out. And there's been a lot of exploration going on, and it's going to probably continue to be that way for a couple weeks before we even get down to anything that's super duper solid. I think there's been a lot of sets recently where at this point, if we did this episode, that would be very hard to do 10 points on something that wasn't spanning all the formats. And, you know, for the most part, we really talked about three-ish formats. I, I think Kamigawa has been, you know, a resounding success, all things considered, so far. And, uh, yeah, it, it's super interesting, and you should really spend some time to explore stuff. I, I wanted to mention during Standard, I'm just mentioning passing here, like, I've done things like play Colossal Plow and looked into that sort of area, and it's, like, surprisingly good. Uh, you know, it's not busted or anything like that, but, like, there are things that can happen in these sort of formats. Uh, and it, it's interesting. It's, it's fun to explore these things. You should do it. That is going to segue us in to our Patreon question, though. If you ever want to support the show, you go to patreon.com slash ccmtg. The show will always be free. But if you go on Patreon the show, you get a little shout-out, like, at the beginning of the show. You know, you could have been, like, Mikey, Jonathan, a Ben and got shout-out twice, maybe. Uh, and you also get to ask questions in the Patreon Discord, uh, where Mikey asks... Top five basics of all time. And I will answer this question personally. I think it's white uh, for planes, black for swamp, blue for island. <laughs> no, but what's y'all's favorite arts uh, for, for basics? Because I think that's kind of the, the question here. Do you have like an artist or a thing you go to? I like the Rebecca Gway FNM promo lands. I really love the Nyx lands. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like the Pokemon energy like love thing but i think they're sweet i was actually just go off of like cycles of basics uh my favorites are number one the next lands uh number two the unglued lands yes unglued lands number three for me are the apex lands number four to me are uh, original zendikar lands and number five 
for me are beta. I have a long and complicated history with basic lands. I'm someone who does the most annoying thing possible, which is play a bunch of mismatched basics. But I do it on purpose. I pick out all of my favorite basics in art and and play them. When I, especially when I play monocolor decks. I know I've played mono red with a bunch of different mountains that I like. Uh, among my favorite pools to draw from are Portal. Portal 2 specifically has a bunch of really sick arts. As far as full arts go, I think Unglued and Unhinged are both really good. It depends on which land you're going for. I think that Planes Unhinged is better. I'm also a real sucker. I have one like on my desk because I was messing around with some decks. This Matt Thompson Island from Onslaught, this one right here, if you're watching on YouTube, this is the greatest island of all time. This is this is an unbeatable island. There are boats. There is an island. There is there is a town in the background that you can see. Visible amounts of commerce going on here. People live here. You draw on this for mana. It is blue. You play whatever you like. I think that there's so much good magic art, especially when it comes to basic lands. I'm going to use this as my chance to, to stand on the soapbox and talk about playing one of basics and whatever. Showcasing all of your favorite arts is way cooler than not. And doing it shows who you are as a magic player and a person. Don't be afraid to go out there and play mismatch basics if you like all of the arts. Show people what you care about. Magic is awesome, and there's tons of good art, especially on basics. Use it. On a scale of 1 to 10, Mason, how upset would you be with me for firing Abe for that comment? Actually, I think the fact that he sided with you about hammer time just to hear what he wanted to hear is a better reason to fire him. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, that's a me thing. <laughs> Anyways, I, I went I went in my middle magic deck. Oh no, it's too I, I turned my light on too bright so people could see me. I like this island eight from cons. Do you see it? I do. Yeah, I like this it's one. Right. It's got Sadisi's Palace in the background. It does have Sadisi's Palace. It's alright. I, I do Mirage. I have noticed you use that one a lot. We did not mention Mirage Lands for what it's worth, and they are also gorgeous. They're like really high up there. Yeah, one of my Apex one of my draft Lance group friends, good. his uh, his draft set is almost all Mirage. Very very classy. Yeah, Apex is sweet too. Erlands are good too. If I had to do sets, since I did just say the Rebecca Gways, I like two of the new Kamigawa lands. I like Snowy Mountain Village. That one's dope. Oh. And Cherry Blossom. Have you seen old Kamigawa lands? The old Kamigawa mountains are nice. But the I like snowy the Snowy Village. Ones? Yeah. The Snowy Village reminds me of a race, the anime. So I bought a bunch of those ones. I'm saying it's, it's gonna be weirdly the only Kamigawa land I have because I'm not buying the planes, but uh, we're gonna play planes. Uh, but that does that for that. We also do YouTube comments and questions. We kind of do this each week. Um, we'll go to one of the previous weeks. Uh, we, we pulled from the last two since set reviews don't really count, you know. Uh, and if you get picked for this, you do get some Oasis Game Store credits. So make sure to reach out to us on social media. Uh, in order to get your money. We got a comment that was great. Uh, great episode, liked it. How do you handle hate cards in linear matchups? And I think this is a pretty interesting question. I think this kind of comes from the being okay with the hard things episode that we did uh, about uh, three weeks ago now at the time of this recording. And I'm kind of curious how y'all handle it because my typical thing is if I come with a deck that's going to lose something like that, I either have two options of I've come really prepared for it or it's something I think I can't beat and I just let god take the wheel you know and i'm just like i lose it's over yeah i think that the london mulligan really uh allows you to take that approach and that is basically how you should approach it if it's a linear matchup and you know it's a linear matchup you know it's about specific things you need to come prepared for those things you know whether it's you know having pyretic spell bomb for 
or whether it's Torpor Orb in his, you know, days of old or whatever it is that you're worried about, if you, you either decide, do I need to worry about this or especially in things like modern, uh, you know, or do I need to ignore it? And we kind of talked about that on the episode here, which is why I think the question comes up. But I think that this falls in line with what we said on that episode of like, you need to decide whether it falls into your game plan or not to worry about this thing. I will say as kind of a little bit of in-game thing you can do is if you're playing a deck like Dredge and you're worried about a Leyline of the Void, if your opponent is keeping a seven or six card hand, they probably have that lights out linear hate card because otherwise they might mulligan down lower now that the London Mulligan's in place, especially if they're just keeping seven. If you know that you have to beat that card, then it might be worth mulliganing more aggressively. And if they if your opponent is also mulliganing with you, you know, at a certain point they might just be drawing the line on like, I can't go down this low, my deck still needs to function. In which case, you know, you can kind of that's when you have to pick how much do I need to function versus how much do I need to beat this hate card? But I would almost always assume that they have a deck that might have rest in peace or whatever against my dredge deck. If they're keeping seven, I have to assume they have a rest in peace. That was the same way when I played Affinity against Stony Silence. I would always make sure that my deck was getting out ahead enough by turn two that if my opponent was playing Stony Silence, I could punish them for taking the turn off because there's not much else you can do about it. If I had like a thought seed, that'd be good. But if my hand was good enough to get on the board by then, you just do it. And if they mulliganed, then I had to worry about it a little less. I could be a little looser myself. If you want to uh, find some other shows on the network, you got to check out the rest of the CC network. We have Drafting Archetypes with Sam Black. That's going to be where you're going to go for limited. Sam Black, one of the all-time best Magic players, goes over a different draft archetype each and every week. I guess right now Kamigawa, but it'll be whatever the current set is. Uh, you also want to check out Common Knowledge. That's where you're going to get all the popper goodies. And you can find all of these things over at ConstructorCriticism.com or on the main CCMTG network feed. Spencer, if someone wants to find you and all the stuff you're working on... Oh, I guess Mythicast is back, too. I don't want to take that from you. I don't know if you want to announce it here. Did episode one, our first episode back on Mythicast, so you can find me there with uh, Mythic Michaela, as well as, you know, every other week on the Need to Nerd podcast where we talk about nerdy stuff uh, that, you know, that we enjoy. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at SpencerThickenH. That's basically it right now. Hey, what about you? Find me at twitter.com slash more nothing. I'm getting very close. I really just need to title the article to starting my first series on uh, getting out there of just a homegrown grassroots Magic the Gathering set of stories about gameplay on uh, Tree of Tales MTG. So you can go follow that Twitter if you like writing about magic, you like reading about people playing magic, their tournament experiences, etc. Those are the two things I've played right here. So. Awesome. If you want to find me, you can find me each and every week here on Consider Chrism. You can find me each and every Thursday over at Card Kingdom. I write about anything kind of going on in Magic these days. This week we got some pioneer action. So if you're going to want to find, you know, maybe you like that anvil list you just heard us talk about, or the light paw, you want to see the good light paw list, the one that doesn't just die to a chump blocker. I got you on that hookup. Come on over, do it there. You can find me over at twitter.com at Mason E. Clark. Let's enjoy uh, the tournament of Twitter together. And I think that's going to do it for us on this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. We'll see you all back here next week with our pin ultimate before episode 400 episode of Constructed Criticism.